This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. This is Wins and Losses with Clay Travis. Play talks with the most entertaining people in sports, entertainment, and business. Now, here's Clay Travis. Welcome into the Wins and Losses podcast here with Outkick the Coverage. I am Clay Travis. Lots of great Wins and Losses podcasts in the uh, repository there. You can go check them out. 23 different ones, I believe, we've done so far. And we are off and rolling here this week with Art Bryles, uh, Texas high school football coaching legend as well as former Baylor football coach. Many of you are going to be very familiar with him because you are big-time college football fans. And we'll start with this, Coach. You've hardly talked to anybody in the media for several years now. Has it been hard to basically be quiet like you've been quiet? Well, first of all, good morning, Clay. And, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's always hard to, you know, kind of let your name get – drag around and and everything but that's just uh you know I'm kind of old school you know I'm I'm 64 years old and I grew up where you know my dad and everybody I was ever around you know just told me hey your actions speak louder than your words so just keep your mouth shut and live the life that you're supposed to live and people will judge you that know you by by what you do not by what you say so that's kind of been it and then you know it, it's a uh, once, once a narrative gets out there in the media it's, it's it's kind of hard to fight. So I found out early that everything that I did try to say, which was not much, or, you know, somebody was saying for me, uh, just got, you know, kind of taken and twisted to where it was not a, it was not a positive for me, but, you know, I'm doing good. And, uh, you know, everybody, uh, you know, seems to be kind of getting back on their feet. So that, that's a good thing. All right, so I want to dive into uh, Baylor and everything there, but I want to start with your coaching career. You were, long before you moved into college coaching, and I believe your first job in college coaching didn't come until 2000, but by that time you'd been coaching for 20 years in Texas high school football. When did you know that you wanted to be a football coach? Was this something you knew when you were 18, 19 years old? Was it younger? 
uh, how did you come to basically, I think, starting in 1979, move into football? You know, my, my dad was a was a coach, and he actually didn't start as a coach. He joined the Navy out of high school and then went, you know, and served for four years. And back then, you'd serve, and then you'd go back in the Navy to pay for your college. And, you know, so he did that, and he went out to West Texas A&M at the time, or West Texas State out in Canyon, Texas. And then he really didn't – he was just a school teacher, and my mother wasn't uh, – you know, she was just a um, – you know, what What do you call them now today? I want to make sure I use the right term. She's a stay-home mom. Yeah, right. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so I had a brother. And, you know, first my dad was just, uh, you know, teaching school. And then he started coaching junior high. Then he got he got the head uh, high school job at Rural Texas, R-U-L-E, which is a little town out in West Texas. And I moved there when I was a fr- uh, freshman in high school. And I just uh, – it's just kind of all I'd ever been around. You know, then I got into college – went down to University of Houston and, you know, played for Coach Yeoman. And I thought, yeah, you know, I really really wasn't sure what I was going to do. I kind of wanted to be, a, you know, like an FBI agent or something. I always kind of like, you know, studying things and trying to figure out why people do what they do. But, um, you know, I found out the quickest way to get out of school is just, you know, get my education degree. And so I just started coaching. started coaching in 1979, a little town out in uh, West Texas, Sundown, and you know, I was actually in high school for 21 years. I was 16 years as a head coach, and, you know, we got the job out there at Texas Tech in 2000. All right, so when you're coaching in high school football, at what point did you start to develop the offensive system that you would eventually bring into college football at Baylor, and what was it brought out of? Was it necessity where you said, man, I don't have some of the same talent that some of these other schools have – but maybe I can exploit them by running this new system. How did you sort of tinker and work your way into the offensive system that you ended up running at Baylor? Yeah, it's a really good question, Clay. I can tell you've talked to a lot of football guys, but, you know, everything comes out of necessity. And actually it started, you know, I got my first head job in 1984, um, you know, in Hamlin, Texas, another I don't know if you remember Johnny Ham Jones. You know, he used to play for UT years ago. Oh, yeah. But, um you know, so anyway, that's that's where I landed my first head job. We really had good kids. You know, it was it was just a great school. We we're about a third Hispanic, third white, third African American, and you know, uh, we could we could kind of get after people. And it was just a a good mixture of people that were tough guys that could run a little bit. So, you know, we went twenty seven one and one in two years. But my second year there, um, you know, we got deep in the playoffs. And and I started seeing that that once we got deeper in, like our quarterfinals, semifinals, uh, state state championship, that other other people had good talent also. So in eighty in eighty three or eighty four, uh, you know, it was pretty pretty vanilla. You know, split back beer because uh, I was a beer guy coming from Houston. And then in eighty eighty five, uh, switched to uh, you know no back, you know, and, and run a little one back form wides and, and did a little you know, a little run pass option stuff back then. So it was uh, it was basically our necessity. We ended up, you know, going, uh, I guess, 14-1 our last year. But, um, you know, we got beat by a team that had, had better people. But it was, uh, you know, it was out of necessity. And then we just kind of evolved through the years. I mean, I actually took a job a couple of years after that in Georgetown, Texas, which is around Austin. And we we were very we were the smallest school in, in the nine team district against Austin Westlake, you know, where Drew Brees is from and Nick Pose and you know, some of those people, uh, Baker Mayfield. You know, we're in a we're in a 
district with them. Actually, how Mummy was a head coach at Coppers Cove at the time, the same same district, and and we were less talented. So there, you know, I, I put in some different formations and stuff to kind of slow the game down because back then they didn't have the forty second clock. You know, the referee sets the ball, then you bring his arm down, you got twenty five seconds. So you could actually milk the game, you know, a little bit. So we we slowed it down and tried to play, uh, you know, kind of vanilla football, make three and a half, four yards of carry, and and shorten the game, try to win, you know, 17-10. So everything you do is, is you know, out of necessity. And then as we got into to college, you know, we just evolved from there because we got better players and we're able to do a few more things with a skilled athlete. Stephenville, uh, I believe. I want to talk about that with you. Um, I think you won four Texas State high school championships there, if I'm not mistaken, in 4A, which is a, a, a pretty high level. Um what started to go perfectly well for you as you're kind of in the laboratory of football that led you to having so much success that gave you an opportunity to move in? I did some research on this because I was kind of curious. Uh, your 98 team, I think you posted over 8,000 yards of offense. Is that a misprint or was that real? No, that was actually it was the most offensive yards in the in the history of high school football time nationally. So I no, eight thousand six hundred and fifty. I mean, who was on that team? Oh, you know, we had we had two kids that went to SMU. My quarterback, a guy named Kellen Luker, and then Cody Cardwell, a little receiver who's about you know he was about five nine, one hundred and sixty, but you know he, he could fly. You know, he's really mm-hmm. a dynamic player. Both those guys went there, and and Luke Luker could throw the ball pretty good, but we just you know, we had a lot of other guys to go with it. We'd, we'd actually won quite a bit up until that time, you know, like in 93 and 94, we were, we were 32-0, so we had a really dominant players in. And we just had a great run of quarterbacks. You know, I had a 10-year run there where we really had good players. Actually, when I took the job in 1988, um, you know, they hadn't won a district championship in 27 years. And so it had been a place that was down, but it was a community school just about 55 miles south of Fort Worth. So you know, I knew we could get some people in there, and uh, those guys would, would, you know, it's all they had. All they had was Steamville High School. They couldn't go to the mall. They couldn't go to the movie theater. You know, they had to stay in there, and we had to work. So we worked them good, and we got a little tradition going. And there's been some really good players come out of there, some guys, you know, that have uh, done, done uh, pretty good in the NFL, a couple of them, you know. So it's it's been good. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. 
Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. We're talking to Art Bryles. This is the Wins and Losses podcast. I'm Clay Travis. So uh, when you're rolling in Texas high school football, we got people listening to this all over the country, and they may know Texas high school football from Friday Night Lights. They may know kind of the rumor and reputation of it. How big is high school football in Texas? For people who aren't from Texas and are listening to us right now, what is it on the social scene for the state of Texas? You know, it's just just fun football, Clay. You know, I mean, that's – that's the thing that I always liked about it, and that's really why I'm back in it now. You know, it's just it's good, good ball, and and it gives the all these people, uh, you know, kind of something to talk about and hang their hat on. It gives, you know, guys and girls, you know, it gives them uh, a meaning, you know, because you got the cheerleaders, you got the band, you got the pep squad, drill team, you know, all that. So it just involves so many people, and uh, it's just it's uh, you know it carries a flag for the community, especially when you're talking about the. Like you mentioned, Seamless 4A would be a 5A in today's alignment. But, you know, you get the community schools based around the state of Texas. It's that way. Then when you get into the, the cities, you know, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, uh, kind of the Austin area, you know, there, there's still pockets of of schools there that have been strong for years. I mentioned Westlake. you got Katy. you got Duncanville and Dallas, DeSoto. You know, then, you know, they're just all over the state, really good strong programs that have had a lot of tradition for a lot of years. And, and these people stay there, grow up there, live there. And so it's a, it's a generational thing. And they just, uh, you know, it just means everything to them. And the, the, the word you used early in the podcast, when you were saying this is our wins and, and something show, you know, that's a word I never use, you know, so, uh, <laughs> you know, and when, when that happens, you know, it's just devastating, you know, but it's just, it just, you know, takes a piece of your soul out. So uh, that's something that I've always felt. And, uh, you know, that's, that was always my motivating factor for coaching. It wasn't the W's, it was others, you know, because there's always a way to do better and overcome when you didn't succeed. How long does – you say you don't even like to use the word loss, but when you would lose early in your coaching career a high school football game, how long does it take you to get over it? Oh, you still don't. You know, I still got some that hang on me right now today, you know, just because uh, it is so devastating. And the thing, the difference between high school collegiately and then even the NFL, I would suppose, you know, is that in high school, 
you know, when you, you're in those communities, you're in those places, when, when you don't get a, a victory, then you're seeing those people, you know, on Saturday. You're seeing yeah. them at church on Sunday. You know, everywhere you go through the week, you're seeing all those people that are in the stands. Collegiately, you know, those people come in, they drive in, they bring their RVs, they fly in, then they leave, you know, because not everybody lives in Waco, Texas, or Houston, Texas, or Lubbock, Texas. You know, so they come and go, and then they go back to their whatever they're doing. They may not be back for two or three weeks, depending on home and away schedule. And the NFL's the same way. I mean, you got people that, you know, live in Arlington, Texas, that love Green Bay. Yeah. You know, so it's just uh, – but I mean, when you're in when you're in high school ball, I mean, it's it, it's on you, you know, and you see those people, and you're responsible to them day in and day out. How many people would show up for your high school football games? You know, at the when we were at Stephenville and in the state championship games, you know, I think probably the biggest crowd we had was um, I think it was 1999. We had a, we had a doubleheader in the Astrodome. Believe it or not, that's when the dome was still alive. Um, and we played a team called Port Natures Groves. And then there was another game that backed us up. So it was kind of a dual crowd. But I think there was about 33, you know, maybe 35,000 there um, at that game. And, you know, the, the, when you get deep in the playoffs, you always have really, really good crowds, you know. So that's that, it's really exciting. And the I thing mean, about I, it is they're completely split crowds. You know, you got a home and you really have a visitor where collegiately, you know, it's when you're at home, you're really at home. But. When you get in these playoff games, it's it's split right down the middle. How hard was it for you to leave high school football to go coach in college? It wasn't hard. You know, I mean, when I got into coaching, I just got into coaching and coach. You know, I didn't really have a, a master plan or vision or anything uh, because, you know, when I my wife and I, you know, we started dating in 1972, got married in 78. We went to high school together. And I graduated 24 in my class, and I think she had 25 in hers. So, you know, we were just just happy being happy, you know, just wanting to live and uh, get out and, you know, try to try to have a productive life and go from there. And, um, you know, when getting out of high school, you know, I really kind of felt like, believe it or not, as crazy as it sounds, you know, we'd won four state championships in a six-year period, and I kind of felt like we'd crossed all the bridges we could cross, you know, and, and, and it kind of got to be, you know, as, as crazy as it sounds, kind of ho-hum for the community there. And, you know, they, they had a bond. They didn't build a new high school. I felt like if they'd have built a new high school, that, that town would have really flourished, you know, because of its location. But they built a new uh, middle school instead. And that's, you know, it's not my decision. That's school board decision. So they did what they did. And and I just had the chance to go to, to Texas Tech. You know, I knew, the, I knew some people there because actually my wife and I ended up graduating from there. Uh, I stayed three years at Houston, three and a half, and I went to Texas Tech and finished up when I quit playing football. Uh, so, you know, we knew some folks out there. Uh, they needed a Texas guy on the staff because when Leach came in, you know, he brought all these people from around the nation, uh, but they weren't Texas guys. So they needed a, a Texas coach in there that people could relate to, you know, that could help give them a good recruiting base to start with that knew the state of Texas because I knew it. At the time, I'd actually, uh, you know, been elected, you know, the high, the president of Texas High School so- Coaches Association. So I, I had good connections all across the state, and that's that's really why I got the job there. So what's it like? We've had Mike Leach on the podcast already, and a lot of people <laughs> who are listening to us right now know Mike Leach. What was working with Mike Leach like? 
it was interesting, you know, to say the least. <laughs> That's a good way to start. No, I mean, he, Mike's, Mike's a great football coach. He's I, I respect him a lot because he – he really loves the game of football just like I do, you know, and that's 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 the people that I respect. Just like your intelligent question a while ago, I can tell that that you've been around the game, you know the game, you've discussed the game with many people, you know. So people that that know the game, love the game, and understand the game, I have a lot of respect for. Mike's, Mike's that way. We're completely, you know, polar opposites on, um, you know, personalities and. And you know, daily lives, but that's that doesn't mean anything. I mean, Mike, Mike is a technician, you know, football coach. He demands a lot out of his players and his coaches. He's a he's a great guy to coach for because you know he's not overbearing. He's not a micromanager, but he's uh, you know what he wants done, he gets done, and he's been you know effective everywhere he's been. So uh, he's you know he's he's had a good career, and I'm happy for him. You brought in Wes Welker. That's a guy that a lot of people might not have brought in. What did you see in him that made you think this guy can be successful at a college level? It was, it was just, uh, you know, fortunately I had Oklahoma at the time, so I recruited, you know, uh, spots at Texas. And then I had, you know, two or three spots in Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, and, uh, you know, that was about it. And then Tommy McVay, who was the football ops guy, at Tech, brought in the tape and said, hey, you know, because Tommy had coached up there some, sometime in his career, said, I want you to watch this guy on tape, you know. And I said, where is he at? And he said, what is it? Heritage Hall, a little private school in Oklahoma City. And I'm thinking, okay, you know. Uh, so he brings it in, and there's this guy on there that's, you know, Walker's walk, about five nine and a half At that time, probably weighed 173 or four. He played quarterback, he played running back, he played free safety, he kicked the ball, he punted the ball, he did all their plays kicking, he returned punts, he returned kickoffs. He never came off the field. Every time he touched the ball, he was dynamic with the football. When he was on defense, he was by far the best player on the field, a very tough, uh, just dynamic player. And and I, I just said, this, you know, this guy's a no-brainer. And, I, you know, I said, what's he done? What's the, who's he got? They said, well, he's got Tulsa, and that's it. And I said, well, has he run? You know, and they said, well, I think, you know, he's been timed probably, uh, you know, low low four seven, maybe high four six, you know, something along those were that range. And I said, you know, we got to take this guy. And so we talk about it. And then actually, when signing day comes along, we, we had not offered him. And signing day comes along because we want to see him in person. He didn't sign and came and visited a week later got on campus and, and everybody got to meet him. It was, you know, if you've ever been around Wes or know Wes, he, he came in as a running back. I was coaching running backs and I said, I, you know, I, I want this guy. I'll take him. We had great running backs. You know, we had Shad Williams who ended up at Alabama. We had Ricky Williams who was a great running back there. And then Wes came in. And, and I'm telling you, Wes, if he would have stayed at running back, he'd be, you know, run, he would have been a running back in the league also. I mean that—that's how good he is. When he stepped on campus, he was an automatic no-brainer because his his from zero yards to four yards with his speed and his his maneuverability is as good as anybody I've been around. I've been around some really good ones. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. 
Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. We're talking to our Bryles. Uh, this is the Wins and Losses podcast. I'm Clay Travis. Uh, so you get there you your... You're talking ugly to me again, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> on that L word out there. We are... Uh, all right, so you're at uh, with Mike Leach at Texas Tech. You recruit. Then you get an opportunity to go to Houston. What was the interview process like, and how exciting was it to get a job at a place where you had played wide receiver? Well, it was just... Um... It was really good. The, the good thing about it, the bad thing about it, is that nobody won the job. You know, at U of H at that time, that was in 2002. I think they were coming off uh, like six losing seasons in a row, and they their attendance at that time was probably 18,000 a game on a good game. Uh, so it was just a job really nobody wanted. They were in Conference USA. At that time in Conference USA, you had TCU, South Florida, you had Louisville, Cincinnati. I mean, UAB, you know, they had some people that could play to, along with Tulsa and SMU and Tulane and, and all those folks. Rice at the time was pretty good. So uh, it was just uh, it was a job nobody wanted. They offered probably to, you know, three or four people. And then it got down to me and this other guy that played at U of H. And, and I went down there and interviewed. And it's I've always told players all my life, you know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. You know, my deal was, in 1974, when I went there, if I'd have been a, you know, a turd and been a bad guy and caused trouble and, you know, got in trouble and done all that, then all those people that were around then, all of a sudden, they're making decisions in 2002. You know, so they wouldn't even talk to me and looked at me. So it was good that Coach Elman was still in the process. A couple other boosters, you know, that had been there when I was around were in the process and. Like I said, the interview went well. I got in there, and I was probably 
I don't think probably. I, I'm pretty sure I was one of the you know lower, probably top bottom five uh, paid coaches in America at that time. You know, for a Division One head coach, but I didn't care. You know, all I wanted was a chance because after being in the in the game for three years at Tech and seeing it, watching the how college worked, I could tell that uh, you know what we did at Stephenville High School. Uh, from a formation, schematic, philosophical standpoint, would transfer into the collegiate level. And so I was excited to, to give opportunities to some coaches that I've been around for, you know, some of them a decade or more to come and coach at the collegiate level. So I brought, you know, three or four or five guys that, that were on my staff at Stevenville up there. And, you know, actually one of them's a head coach at Tulsa now, Philip Montgomery. You know, Randy Clements is a O-line coach at, at Ole Miss right now and, you know, some other guys. So it's it was fun to come help them and, you know, have a chance to start there. And the, and the thing that propelled us, you know, when I was there, I mean, we, we signed Kevin Cobb, who was the high school quarterback at Stephenville. You know, I'd actually been coaching. He was committed to Oklahoma State. Uh, but Montgomery was still there. And when I left, he was just a freshman. So he, you know, he played a little bit in some playoff games, but that was it. And so it gave us a chance to have instant uh, credibility and winnability because he understood our offense and we could roll from there. So you're there five years, and then you get the opportunity at Baylor, and we're talking with Art Bryles here. Um, You go into Baylor, and I know you said nobody wanted the job at Houston. I can't imagine there were a lot of people sitting around saying, hey, you know what, I really want to go to Baylor and coach football because they really had, had absolutely no success at all. Obviously, it's a step up in terms of conference, but was that a tough decision to, to, to leave Houston where you'd gone to three straight bowl games and, and bowl games in four out of your five years and decide to go to Baylor? Yeah, and, that, and just since we're talking, Clay, but actually just for the kids' sake, I actually won a Conference USA championship in 2006 yep. you know, with Kevin Cobb and some of those guys. And we, we had some really good players. Had, you know, I, the thing about Houston, I, and I'll get to Baylor in just a second, but the thing about Houston is that it's a place where you can recruit because we're it's sitting in, in my opinion, uh, one of the top two or three cities in the nation. You know, with with student athletes that can play. Yeah. So I mean, we we get cats there. You know, I mean, I had, you know, while we were there, we had you know six or seven guys that got drafted and played a long time. You know, Sebastian, Sebastian Bomber, Donnie, Donnie Avery. You know, Kevin Cobb. I mentioned Case Keenum. You know, another guy that I recruited out of there that. I was the only guy that offered case of scholarship coming out of high school, you know, so it's just, uh, it, it just goes on and on. So we had really, really good people and, you know, ended up getting that thing back on its feet. So we, I felt really proud of that because I loved the university of Houston and it was nice to, to help get them back. You mentioned going to Baylor. I mean, the thing that kind of drew me there is a couple of things, you know, I, when I was in recruiting, you know, we, we'd recruit these guys and, you know, we might lose one or two to Baylor each year. And at that time, Baylor was, you know, they're going two and ten and, you know, I don't know, three and nine, you know, and, and not doing anything. And we're winning Conference USA championships and we're losing guys, you know, to them. And Emmanuel Sanders was one of them. You know, uh, he ended up going to SMU. But, uh, you know, Baylor was in the mix and he was talking to them. And, he, was, you know, I remember him saying, Coach, I would go to Baylor. You know, so I – I thought, well, you know, that's that's Big Twelve, you know. So it's it's got it's got an appeal to these student athletes, you know, even more so than an opportunity to to instantly have a chance to win. Uh, so that 
that was a big decision for me. Um, you know, I, I, I knew the I knew the state of Texas. You know, I, I knew Waco. I knew where it was located. I mean, it's centrally located. It's three hours, two hours and a half from. You know, it's an hour and a half from Dallas. It's two and a half, three hours from Houston. It's an hour and a half from Austin, and then it's in East Texas. You know, it's three hours from East Texas where there are pockets of athletes through East Texas that nobody knows about unless you know the state of Texas. So I knew we could recruit, and I knew grandmamas wanted to watch their grandsons play football, and they could drive there and get there. So I thought, yeah, you know, if I can, you know, get in on it, then that that would be a good job, and it's another job where they probably offered it to two or three people before they finally got to me. I know Houston Nutt was probably offered the job, and Jim Grove at the time was offered the job or, you know, talked to seriously. Mike Singletary, I think, could have taken the job but decided not to. You know, so they're kind of, you know, I kind of, you know, walked in there and, and uh, had the opportunity to go. And once again, uh, you know, it's a job nobody really wanted, but uh, I just knew we could recruit there. You know, and I got some, some, I hit on some really good recruits, or we did, you know, early, like RG3, who was committed to me at Houston, you know, so he came to Baylor with me. And then with Kendall Ride, who, uh, you know, was another first round pick. We got both those the first year in. And, uh, you know, so we had a chance to get in there and get after some folks. I'm going to get to those guys because I'm curious how you got them. But first two years at Baylor, you go four and eight, four and eight. And you go three and thirteen in the in the uh, in the Big Twelve. Now I know you said you don't like to talk about losses, but did you have any self doubt at that point? Because you won a lot, four Texas State championships. You only had one losing record at Houston. I'm sure you weren't used to the feeling of going four and eight, and certainly you weren't used to the feeling of going three and thirteen in conference at the end of 2009. Were you like, golly, what have I gotten myself into? Or were you starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel and feel like, hey, man, because a lot of times you don't get more than two years now uh, at, at jobs. You know, if you start off two and six, one and seven in conference, sometimes it can be tough. When did you start to think, hey, maybe we can get this thing turned around? That's that's really funny that you mentioned that, Clay, because honestly, I couldn't have told you that we were three and 13 because uh, the feeling around there at that time was that this is going the right direction you know we had momentum uh we'd played uh texas tech when they were 11 and 2 i think in 2008 Uh, i think they beat us 35 27 you know maybe 38 30 at tech you know we had them down we had them down 14 you know late in the third and and actually they go for fourth down we pick the pass off but we have a guy all sides they go down and score change momentum end up beating us um you know, so we we played some some really close football games against teams that had been just you know destroying Baylor, and it was you know. And then we got beat some too. I mean, I'm not going to say that some people beat us pretty good, but you know, we beat A and M in '08, um, and and we you know once again in '09 we played Tech to 14 to seven, I think, uh, in Arlington, and we just and and honestly, the the first year there, I mean, we beat Iowa State. And I'm walking across field after the game, and I get I get an ice chest, bump, you know, thrown at me or you know, poured <laughs> over me. Yeah, and I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, and I I had no idea. And then I heard one of the one of the seniors, Jason Smith, actually, who ended up being the second pick overall in the draft as an uh, as an old lineman in '09. 
he said, Coach, we hadn't we hadn't won a conference game in two years. You know, so there were there were a couple of small milestones that gave us momentum and it 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 was good, you know. I mean, I believe it or not, it felt good because we knew we had some guys that could play, we were recruiting good people and we knew we could, could make a little turn. So it, it wasn't a, a deal to where, you know, we felt like or I felt like, man, what's going on? Because I mean to you know just to be honest, I had I had an opportunity to leave after the the '09 season and, and go within conference, and um, you know didn't do it. So that's that's how good we felt about it at the time, right there. Where did you have an opportunity to go in '09? Uh, Tech. So Tech was Tech trying to Tech. hire, yeah, trying to get you away. Uh, all right, so let's yeah. go to let's go to RG three, um, guy kids from Texas obviously is going to put Baylor on the map in a big way uh, and, and take your program to a different level. When did you first see him play? You said you had him committed to Houston, and then you brought him with you to Baylor. Why did other coaches not see in him what you did? Uh, it's, it's funny, you know, because they played in the state championship two years in a row when he was in high school, you know, which is hard to do. They got beat both years by Richmond a team out of Houston, South Houston. Richmond had the little running back that went to Oregon State that was really good. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but Jaquez. Anyway, they beat Jaquez. Jaquez. That's him. Yeah. Yeah. That's close yeah. enough. Yeah, but, I, uh, I, I'm pretty sure know. that. But I remember the player. Yeah. Oh. No, he was really dynamic. You know, and had a great career at Oregon State. But the thing I saw in Robert, it, you know, Robert was a track guy. You know, he he was national best in the highs and their intermediates. And that that's that's just hard to do. I mean, and and so I knew I knew he could run when I got him at U of H in a summer camp and watched him throw two passes. I mean, I watched him throw the ball twice, and I told Montgomery, I said, "Take him out, don't let him throw anymore." I said, "I don't, I don't, I don't want anybody else to see how good he throws." You know, because you got coaches all around there and stuff. Because I was shocked at how he could throw the football being that athletic. You know, I've been around a lot of guys that are very athletic and can run, but but their fine motor skills aren't quite as good. I mean, Robert was he was elite now and he could he could really deliver the ball. And so when when I saw that I thought, you know, here we've got this guy that's a national track athlete and could have been an Olympic hurdler if he'd if he'd have gone his way in the hurdles. But he can throw the football, and he graduated seventh out of 463. So, I mean, let's play. You know, so he he was a phenomenal athlete and person uh, that, you know, gave us an opportunity to be to be different. Now, what killed us in 09 is, you know, of course, Robert Torres ACL, the, like the second game of the year. So that's that's what happened in 09. In 08, we had, we had a little bit of a run going. We knew we were going to be good in 09. He tears his ACL, so we have to play another true freshman the rest of the year in 09 because the guy was backing up. Robert got hurt, uh, Blake Szymanski, you know, when he came in the game. Uh, so, it, you know, we knew we when I got him back in 10 that we would have a chance to, you know, to make a little run there. But he's he's a phenomenal person and phenomenal player. And it's and, I, and what happened to him in the league is what I tried to – to warn him about when he came out, you know, he came out a year early, um, was because he's so he's so doggone competitive. And I just told him, Robert, I said, man, it, it's about longevity in the NFL. I said, you just got to stay healthy um, because I knew his competitive spirit. I knew he would flail around and 
try to you know make the extra yards in a dynamic fashion and and there's some there's some mean guys on the other side of the line of scrimmage that are very talented in the league you know and they're tough and and they can make plays on you so um you know just word man and you know coincidentally he got hurt you know i guess in the redskins uh first or second playoff game you know his rookie season again what do you think you would have been capable of with rg3 in the nfl if you'd been his head coach and you'd been in charge of him and you'd gotten to take him to the NFL? Well, Clay, that's a, that's, that's a little bit of a loaded question because, uh, you know, I, uh, I just, I just know what, you know, what, uh, we're capable of doing there at a place that had never been done before, you know, at, at Baylor. So I just think with him as a healthy person and with the talent you can put around somebody in the league on starting with the old line, you know, and going from there with all the skilled guys um, and, and then adding the tempo to that, you know, which I would do if, if I was in the NFL. I would definitely play tempo. I know it's a limited roster. I know all that comes into play, but I also know what it does to the defensive side of the ball. So with, a, with an intelligent guy like that, at quarterback with his mobility and ability, um, you know, I think definitely we could. We would have flipped it up for a while. You'd have won a lot of games if you'd gotten to coach RG3 in the NFL. I think I would like to believe that, yes, sir. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. 
Uh, so we're talking to Art Bryles. I know he doesn't like the word, but this is the Wins and Losses podcast. So uh, l- let's go into uh, to the broader question here. For a long time, you heard, oh, that works in high school football. It'll never work somewhere else, right? Or, oh, it works in college, but it'll never work everywhere else. Seems to me what we've moved into now in the world of the NFL, high school, and in college is if it works at any of those levels, it probably can work anywhere but you probably had to fight through that stereotype of oh that might work in texas high school football it'll never work in college and i know we talked about this with mike leach oh that works in college it'll never work in the nfl seems to me like if it works at any level of football it can kind of work anywhere is that where we are in football right now i don't think there's any question and that like i told you when i was at tech i just saw what we were doing at Stephenville. it would just it would you know really work in in college and the way I've always looked at it, Clay, I think everything evolves up. I don't think it evolves down. I don't think you sit around a high school and watch what the NFL is doing because you can't emulate it, yeah. you know, or what the colleges are doing. Same thing. So high schools, they got a, they got a coach who walks through the door. So you have to be open minded. You have to change philosophy. You got to sit sit your set your scheme to your people that walk through the door. So you change constantly, which is the same thing I've always done. You know, and then I think it's evolved up. You know, I remember in 1994, the spring of 94, after uh, Tennessee signed my quarterback, Brandon Stewart. Yep. Um, Who at, got signed, you know, by the way, in the same class as Peyton Manning, if I remember correctly. Peyton Manning. And, and short story, but they had actually, uh, you know, Brandon was committed earlier and, and yeah. got signed with them because Philip Thorman and David, David Cutler were the ones recruiting him. And they had, you know, come to Stingville, sat in, sat in my kitchen, you know, they said, you're the guy we're taking. And then, you know, lo and behold, Peyton Manning comes up the night before signing date and says he's not going to Ole Miss, he's going to go to Tennessee. And and they called me and said, Coach, we got to take him. And I, you know, I understand that. I mean, my gosh, he was he was probably number one ranked in the nation at the time. And Brandon was, I think, number two. And, you know, they uh, they were saying, you know, can you talk to Brandon? Yes, sir, I'll talk to him. And, you know, I was going to tell Brandon, hey, you know, do what you want to do, but this is going to be a different difficult situation for you i said if it's equal it's going to be Peyton. i'm going to tell you that because your your dad's name is reg and he builds houses <laughs> his dad's archie and he's a, he's a sec legend you know so if it's equal you ain't winning and you know you know how kids are you know coach i'm i can do it i'm competitive but anyway you know so he goes there and stays semester and leaves and goes to AM and actually through Andy, it was whole time in the Big 12. Brandon's the one that won them the, the only championship they ever won when they beat K State. And, and that, that, knocked, that knocked K State out yeah. of the uh, out of the title game. Yeah. And then Tennessee won the title that year, ironically, with T. Martin, if I remember correctly, the way that all played out. Well, I'm 100% correct. But uh, anyway, but you know, to answer your question, I just think, you know, I, I think football is just football. That's just that's just what it is, and and you know the people you get to do it with, the players on the field, they determine you know what your success is going to be. It's not so much your scheme or you know your formations or whatever. It's it's the players that you have and how you utilize them. So uh, I I just think it's you know you know the, the stuff that the NFL is doing right now that that's been going on a long time. What I was going to say when I spoke at that clinic in 1994, the spring of '94, you know we've been running the zone read. I was running with a guy at uh, Steamville, Cody Ledbetter. I mentioned running earlier at Hamlin years ago, but we really kind of perfected it in 1990. This guy went on New Mexico State 
as a QB and actually led the nation in total yards one of his years there. But we're running the zone read with him, and I'm going over there at a clinic talk there. And a tucker comes up to me, you know, after this, says, hey, Coach, I, I wouldn't be telling anybody that. So that's that's some unique stuff, you know. And uh, I can remember him saying that then, and I'm thinking, you know, this is we started doing this four years ago. Yeah. You know, but it just – to me, it kind of showed how – you know, because when you get when you get really good people, you try to to define plays uh, that that utilize those good people. You know, to where where you're satisfied with the three and a half to four and a half yard production play, or you you know you're you're running all these intermediate routes and throwing and you know checking it down. You know, I'm checking it up. You know, I mean we're we're trying to score touchdowns. You know, because I found out a long time ago you can't score unless you're trying. You know, so. <laughs> You know, the, the offense's job is to hurt the defense. So it's just it's just a mentality. But uh, to answer your question in, in a broad sense, I think what you're saying today across the board, you could go to a high school football game in East Tennessee, and I think you could see the very same thing they're doing if, if you watch the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, playing because it's it's mirrored and it's the same all the way across. Just so many, you know, you can't you can't teach. Uh, combination routes and you know uh, running plays any differently in the NFL than you can teach in the high school. There's just it just doesn't exist. What did it feel like to take RG three to the Heisman Trophy ceremony and win it there? Uh, you find this kid, you know, you said he's seventh overall in his class. He's got the ability to throw. He's an incredible athlete. Nobody else really is going to give him the opportunity that you did, and then you see it come to fruition in a ceremony like that, what did that night feel like for you and for the Baylor program? I think it was just kind of kind of like Robert said, unbelievably believable. You know, it was just this is really happening to, at that time, our little, you know, hidden private school here in Waco, Texas, you know, uh, to where he's winning the most prestigious honor of, of collegiate athlete, athletics, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, it was just, just kind of crazy, but it just shows the the momentum and the you know the power of being in the right place at the right time. I mean, we won some, and we, we I think we ended up ten and three that year. You know, That's right. like we were thirteen and zero or twelve and one or whatever. You know, I mean, we we lost some games that there go using that word, but we you know we didn't win some games that you know we that that could have helped us you know down the stretch, but we won some late uh, that that really showed out Robert's ability, you know, and I think we opened up that season uh, beating TCU, who was just coming off a Rose Bowl win, and they were like number five in America, and we beat them, I think, like 52 to 49, you know, at home on a Friday night. So it gave it gave Robert instant credibility from the opening game of the season. You know, and, and then from- we finished up with him. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say the Oklahoma game is what a lot of people I think are going to remember from that that season, which was as big of a win as uh, as you guys have ever had. Well, it was the first time they'd ever beaten them in the history of the university. Yeah, you know, so kind of a, kind, of a, kind was, of a big deal. Yeah, that was I think that was a Saturday night game, and you know, ironically, he throws a touchdown pass with no time left. So you know, it was in a dramatic fashion. You know, that we were able to win just like when we bit, did beat TCU. I mean, we're down and we take it down the down the field in the last, you know, he catches, actually catches a double pass to convert a third and 10 that kept us alive. And we go down and kick a field goal to beat them. So, um, you know, it was just in the fashion that it happened. 
And I think it was so unexpected from Baylor at that time that the, the national media, you know, caught hold and, and Robert with his ability, you know, just, just took off. And I knew once he got started doing interviews and stuff that, you know, everybody would love him because he was, he was a gracious person that, uh, that was very humble, honestly. What does it feel like standing on the sideline as the head coach? I know you won for, uh, you know, a bunch of state championships at Texas, but when Baylor beats Oklahoma, What's it feel like in that moment on the sideline? Can you even put it into words? Yeah, I really can. Just just humbled, you know, very humbled, very grateful uh, because you, you never are able to experience, you know, those feelings and those those times in your life without a lot of people helping you and believing in you, you know, and, and, a, and just a lot of coordination from a lot of areas to make it happen. So, just uh, and and really having a lot of people, you know, support you, and just so just a real humble feeling. I, you know, I was never a guy that, you know, was a was a wild, you know, cheerleader on the sideline and and doing all that because I, I know the the bad times are out there, you know, on the football field. You, you know, there's always, you know, something that could always go wrong on the field. So, you know, when the good things happen, you just you appreciate them, you enjoy them. Uh, but you don't glow over. You know, that, that's the way I always was. I always try to make our guys feel very thankful and very respectful and appreciative of being in these, you know, these situations and being able to experience that because, uh, you know, it's, um, it's a fun time for a lot of people because all the energy and effort they put into it. A lot of people thought maybe RG3 leaves, program will descend back into, you know, Baylor-level mediocrity. Instead, you take it to another level. In 13-11-2, and, uh, and you go to the Fiesta Bowl. In 14-11-2, go to the Cotton Bowl, get that tie for first place, maybe keeps you out of the college football playoff, and I know that was contentious. And then in 15, oh, yeah. you go... I'll go there. Uh, you go 10-3, <laughs> no, but I want, I want to ask you about that. When the, when the polls come out, and now, now, to be fair, that's the first year of the college football playoff, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, in 14. And Ohio State just absolutely obliterates Wisconsin in the Big Ten title. And you guys are going head-to-head with TCU, and you both have a claim on potentially that spot. Do you think your team that year was good enough to win a national championship? I don't I don't know if we are good enough to win a national title that year. You know, I think you'd have to get in the playoffs to find out. I, I honestly think, you know, on down the line, we, we had some teams that were, you know, just as good or better. Like, you know, if we just stayed healthy in 15, no doubt, you know, with, with Seth Russell running the show, Bryce Petty won us two back-to-back Big 12 titles. And then uh, Nick Florence got us through in 12, you know, did a great job in 12 to keep us kind of on that national level. You know, we were just kind of up and down, but we beat Kansas State that year when they were number one in America. And then we go out and play in the Holiday Bowl and beat UCLA, who had won the, the Pac-12 West, I believe, that year. Uh, so, you know, we kind of kept a little momentum. Uh, but, you know, in 14, uh, that's the year, that's the first year of the college playoffs. Clay, is that right? I want to make sure I'm right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's the year Ohio State. Yeah, I'm almost 100% yeah, uh, that, positive. That's yeah. the year Ohio State came in as the four seed, upset Alabama, and then beat Mariota and the Oregon Ducks yeah. to win the title. Yes, sir. And that, that was a deal where, you know, like I said, it was the first year of the playoffs and, and we were, you know, we're still just kind of fighting to get up there with, with, you know, stayed in the top five or so most of that year, you know, because we were pretty good. We had a bad loss, I believe, at West Virginia. And then we had 
a bunch of big wins. You know, we beat beat Texas on the road, uh, beat OU on the road, which, um, you know, I think had never happened before in the history of the Big 12, you know, for somebody to beat those two teams on the road in the same season. So, you know, we were uh, we were a pretty dominant football team, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, and it's, it was just a deal where I felt like, I know TCU beat us, um, I felt like, was that the year TCU beat us? I think TCU beat you head-to-head. Oh, Oh, no, no, we beat them. I'm sorry. So that you was had field. yeah. You would have had the tie the break, right? If if it had been a traditional yeah. situation, but no, you didn't I'm, have the. T- I'm with you now. Yeah, we beat them in in 13 and 14, and yeah, we beat them head to head, and then we lost to West Virginia. And they end up with one loss. We end up with one loss, but I, their one loss was against us. So my my deal was, and at the Big 12 at the time, they said if you have two teams with one loss, you're co-champs. Yeah, right. And if, if you, That's not the you way that you break a tie in any other, no. you know, like uh, no. any other league that's ever existed in the history okay. of mankind. The number one tie break is what did you do head to head? Yeah, if you and I race and you beat me, you're faster than I am. You know, so that's that's just the way it is. And I can remember telling the commissioner, hey, if y'all don't declare somebody the winner, somebody the Big 12 champion, either us or TCU, then we're not going to get anybody in. Yeah, you know we're going to finish fifth because it gives the committee an out. Yes, you know it gives them an out to say, "Hey, there's two Big Twelve champions. We can't take one of them." And you know, coincidentally, we finished fifth in the in the voting that year. And you beat TCU that year. It's a hell of a game. I remember it now. I'm going back to look it up. 61, yeah, it 61, 61-58. Yeah, it was. We were actually down twenty-one, I think, in the fourth, and uh, you know, came back and and scored and won. So that was. That was a big win, and it was a you know they they were really good at the time. They had a good football team, uh, and you guys obviously had a good football team too. And like I said, you went eleven and two, eleven and two, ten and three. All right, and then all of a sudden controversy arises, and this is something that I, so I'm going to be honest. Like I'm putting my lawyer hat on here now. I tend to oh. when stories like these come up. Um, there is sort of this media onslaught, and uh, and and I'm curious for you, uh, as as this sort of storm cloud gathers, did you realize what exactly was coming, or were you kind of blindsided by the way that the whole process began to develop, where uh, the, the the investigation into Sam, I believe it was Uwakachu, if I'm not mistaken, I might be messing up his name, uh, kind of. It, it turns into a massive investigation um, involving uh, off-the-field incidents involving Baylor football players. So I'm going to take you back in time to like the, the off-season of 2015. Were you conscious of what was coming and, and of the storm clouds that were gathering, or were you totally blindsided by this? I, I can say that, you know, just completely blindsided. And I, I really think all of us were, you know, administration, everything, uh, in, including the university, you know, and maybe even the Board of Regents who, uh, you know, I think were put in a situation they certainly weren't prepared for. And I think that's, you know, shown its its tail. But, you know, we just, at that time in 2015, in the summer of 2015, you know, we they were just investigating. We felt like when they came in, we were told, Sam's situation, you know, and Sam was a guy that transferred from Boise. Chris Peterson actually called me, you know, and asked me to take Sam. He said, I've got this guy that, 
you know, insubordinate. He, you know, he won't come to practice. He won't stay around. He's a good player. He's from Houston, you know, and I think, you know, Baylor's a good place for him because I've known Chris and, you know, been on a couple of trips with him and his wife. And um, so he felt like, you know, he knew me. He thought we would be a good place for him. So we, you know, I said, yeah, we'll, we'll look into it. So we checked into it with his high school coach at Pearland, Texas, uh, Tony Heath, and, you know, Coach Bennett. You know, we had a couple of players on the team that had played with him. We talked to them and, um, you know, everything checked out. But, you know, Sam, at the end of the day, you know, uh, he never played a down for us. You know, once he got investigated and had an allegation, and we, we pulled him out and held him out of everything. And, um, and so that's, that was what that was all about at that time. And I, I might and, and let me, let me, I want to, I want to talk about Sam for a sec because I do think this is a, this is an important detail. And a lot of times people have their names out there and, you know, the initial onslaught of coverage. And sometimes I can be guilty of this because I'm in the media and everybody's talking about stories. This was a really complicated case. And I'm just going to give a background here for people who don't know. Uh, he was charged with uh, sexual assault. He was found guilty. Then the conviction was overturned. He got a new trial. Then the conviction, I think, was reinstated. And then it was reversed again in July of 2019. So ultimately, I believe I'm correct in this, he was not convicted of any crime. Am I, and, but that's like a five-year process that this thing went on, right? Yeah, it's uh I mean, it's a crazy story that it went on for five years, this investigation into sexual assault, and ultimately he was found not to have committed a crime, even though, obviously, this was a big part of the story that led to your ouster and the quote-unquote scandal that surrounded Baylor Athletics. So that's that's one of the stories that's out there that I don't think a lot of people know. No, and that's it's just, you know, it's it's a shame for, first of all, that for him and, you know, the alleged victim you know that it's it's a shame they were both caught in that situation and but it just you know it kept sam from uh fulfilling his athletic career no doubt you know he did end up staying there and graduating college and you know never had another another incident to my knowledge but it's so uh, he graduated from baylor have you talked to him recently i really haven't no i haven't Uh, but i i think he's living in houston and, and working somewhere Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. 
Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to to start listening. Okay, and then another one that I think is a big part of this scandal, and I'm curious if you've had any relationship with him, was Sean Oakman, who was an All-American defensive end, would have been, I think, you can speak to this much better than I can, potentially a first-round caliber talent. He was arrested on charges of sexual assault, and then he was found not guilty of the charges against him, but it took three years for those charges to be found not guilty. And if I remember correctly, the jury only deliberated for like a really short time. That feels like it was in many ways, and again, I'm wearing my lawyer hat here, a miscarriage of justice. And let me explain to people who are listening to me out there. I believe if you're charged with a crime by uh, a district attorney and the jury goes out and they deliberate for like 45 minutes and they unanimously find you not guilty after three years of you having been charged with a crime, that's a sign of prosecutorial misconduct in my mind because that jury listens and they immediately say, nah, there's not anything here. And honestly, there's a guy playing for the Denver Broncos now that I pay attention to, uh, I believe A.J. Johnson from Tennessee, who was also found not guilty in like 45 minutes after being dragged through something for years. And I'm not saying any of these situations are in any way great for the alleged victims or the victims and any kind of situations like this. But I'm just saying if a jury listens for 45 minutes and says, nah, this guy's unanimously not guilty, something was wrong on the prosecutorial side. But the reason why I bring these up with you, Art uh, Bryles, and we're talking on the Wins and Losses podcast is, Two cases that were cited as evidence of why you needed to lose your job and why Baylor was out of control both ended ultimately in not guilty verdicts. What do you know about Sean Oakman? What kind of relationship do you have with the guy? Because I watched the video. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, it was hard for me as a dad to watch that and see him crying after the not guilty verdict and saying not that he was talking about himself but how bad he felt for Baylor football because he felt responsible for part of the scandal and he didn't feel like he had done anything wrong. That, it was it was really tough. You know, it, it was really hard at the time when they, uh, um, you know, said that, that, you know, Sean had done that. It actually happened in the – it happened like a, two weeks before the NFL draft, I believe, and it was in April of 2016. And uh, I can remember vividly he actually had graduated – uh, that December, so he was he was a you know a, a good graduate. student. He was just yeah, I mean, and honestly, the first graduate in his family's uh, history. So that that was some that was something that you know if I ever had anything that I wanted to hang my hat on, it was first generational graduates. You know, that was one thing I always stressed our guys. And while I was at Baylor, we were either first or second in Big Twelve in graduation rate, and we actually had the highest GPA in the the history of the university in the spring of 2016. But when that when that happened with Sean, he was just living there in Waco working out, getting ready for the draft. 
and it was just it was just devastating, you know, because like you mentioned, it was another you know case on top of the case with the Sam case, and and we did have a guy that was convicted in twenty you know twelve or thirteen, uh, you know that is did serve time. He's actually the only one that ever you know got convicted of any player that ever coached. And once I found out he was you know uh, in in a case, we you know we dismissed him from the program and. Actually, the university let him stay in school. He ended up transferring to another university, but never finished there. But anyway, the deal with Sean was just—it was awful. You know, I was in Italy actually coaching. Uh, I think this just happened like about a year ago when he, you know, got the not guilty call. I yeah, think it, was it wasn't like until that. February of nineteen. He was arrested in April of twenty sixteen, and it was almost three years later that he was finally found not guilty of that charge. Yeah, I, I can remember I was over in Italy with, uh, you know, I had a couple, three players that had played at Baylor over with me and a couple of them coaching and or a couple playing, one of them coaching. And, uh, you know, this one guy kept up with uh, Sean. Him and Sean were buddies. So, you know, uh, I actually talked to Sean on the phone, you know, after after he was exonerated. And it was he was just, you know, just, just uh, tearfully happy, you know. I mean, just relieved. And you can imagine the three years – you know that he went through because to answer your question initially, yeah, he he was a first round talent, no doubt. You know, and so that's, but that to me is that's inconsequential to, you know, what it does to it to his name, and his, uh, you know, and what it does to your soul. I mean that that's where it hits you, you know, because you can always, um, you know, maintain and and fight on. But I'm telling you, when when you get when you get your soul dragged into it and get that that put on you it's a it's a hard hard uh hard thing to live with and a hard hard burden to to carry so he he carried that for three years wherever where he went you know people are looking at him they're saying that that guy's guilty of the sexual assault you know until he got exonerated but um you know so i'm i'm happy that that it that he was innocent and now i'm happy that i think he's playing the xfl now out in l.a and hopefully he has – I mean, to me – so this is, again, me, me kind of putting my lawyer hat on here. Um, and But I'm also, I think, in a unique spot because I'm in the media. And so in the media, you are obligated uh, in the culture we live in to have opinions, right? I'm in the opinion business. And so every day you look at the evidence and you have an opinion. But a lot of times it's very surface-level-based opinions. And especially when legal issues are concerned, I try to dive into it, right? Because I, I, this is my legal background, maybe training, and I've worked in the criminal justice system, and I know how complicated these cases are. And it bothers me in a big way, as soon as a guy's name is attached to a sexual assault, a lot of people immediately say, that guy is guilty, that guy's an awful human being, and they just throw the book at him. And Sean Oakman, to me, is a great example of this because – three years it takes him to actually get the opportunity to appear in front of a court and when a jury of his peers actually hears all the evidence they immediately basically agree unanimously this is not a sexual assault there's no case here but most people never even hear that right because you know this the initial headline comes out of the sexual assault and then the sports media disappears right because we're not in sports media Good news doesn't sell, but also because we're not most of the time sports media members qualified to then follow court cases unless you're a superhuman star, right? Like 
Ray Lewis or Mike Tyson or somebody that is of that ilk where it's going to be, or Aaron Hernandez for that case, where the case is actually going to be covered on television. The Sean Oakmans of the world, people just vanish. Like the A.J. Johnsons in Tennessee, and all that's left is that scarlet letter, right? People remember the charge. They oftentimes don't remember the exoneration. And I try to share these things. And I'm not saying I was perfect in the way that I talked about the Baylor case because the other thing, Coach, and you know this, is if you're a guy and you defend somebody who is charged with a crime like this, then people come after you and they say, oh, look at that guy. And people worry about getting tarred and feathered. They worry about the mob coming after them. And so there's got to be a villain. And we just walked through. You said there was one guy who committed crimes and ended up graduating from from Baylor. But the big ones that got a lot of attention are Sam Ukawachu, whose name I might be mispronouncing, and Sean Oakman, who were both ultimately found not to have committed crimes. And yet for all of that, the Baylor president loses his job, the athletic director loses his job, and you lose your job. Um, and I want to say this. I believe the athletic director is an athletic director somewhere now, right? I know he got another athletic directing job. Uh, and also, right? And also, uh, he was out of work for six months. And then also, and this is crazy to me, Ken Starr, uh, who a lot of people will recognize the name even if they didn't remember that he was the president of Baylor, he is one of Donald Trump's defenders in the Senate. The president of the United States of America hires Ken Starr to represent him, arguing in the well of the Senate against impeachment, which is arguably arguably the single most important job that any lawyer can have in America. And I didn't hear hardly anybody even mention the Baylor incident. But you, Coach, are not allowed to coach in the CFL and you aren't allowed, a lot of people didn't want you to coach, now you're coaching in high school football. Why do you think you ended up the one guy who was in that room uh, in, in the Baylor sort of administration who was untouchable and everybody else seems to be able to get jobs? I think everybody on your staff got jobs. Why do you think that happened? Fortunately, everybody did end up uh, getting a job. And Clay, that I, if I could answer that question, I would, uh, you know, I would certainly uh, – breathe a lot smoother these days it's just it, it's mind-boggling to me quite honestly i mean uh if you're the you know if you're the leader of a program or you're the captain of the ship or however you want to say it you know then then that's that's where the the blame's going to go i think a, a couple of telling facts are is that you know once they dismissed me um you know the whole staff stayed intact you know for the whole next year they got they they worked there and stayed the whole the whole next year so it wasn't like it was a culture of bad you know characters and bad people and stuff that was going on you know i mean they just i think they needed uh somebody that they could uh you know point it to uh i'm not and do you feel you know, like I'm you were the, do you feel like you were the fall guy i don't i don't think there's any question you know and uh you know it's like I said, it, it's a situation where I'm 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 not trying to sway somebody's opinion, but I think if you do study the facts, you know that are involved in the in the Baylor scandal or situation or whatever you want to call it, then I and and as they start coming out more and more, just like we had a deposition, a, you know, a couple of weeks ago with one of the board of regents who said Coach Biles was not dismissed for mishandling any uh, sexual conduct, uh, sexual cases, and I, I you know I told. 
the lawyer that did the deposition, I said, well, you'd have a hard time getting America to believe that, you know, um, you know, it's, but that's it, coming from a border's mouth. Yeah, it's just it's mind-boggling to me. And I believe I'm correct in this. Baylor's legal counsel sent a letter to you saying specifically that you did not fail or discourage victims from reporting to law enforcement or university officials. That basically your behavior, as if people wanted somebody to be responsible here, but Baylor itself in its own investigation cleared you, right? 100%. Yeah, I mean, 1,000%. And then, you know, all the way through, I never talked to a victim, never texted with a victim, never did anything my entire nine years at Baylor and, well, eight football seasons and nine springs. And, you know, they had access, the Pepper Hamilton, Baylor officials, everybody had access to everything that I ever did because I had one phone the whole time I was there. They got a hold of it, took everything out of it, had one computer, did everything out of my computer. And, you know, so it's, you know, um, so it was pretty transparent from that end, you know, and um, so I don't know. It, it's been, a, it's been a, a situation where I've just tried to, you know, keep a real positive attitude. You know, I, I feel extremely, you know, bad and, and hurtful for, you know, girls and, and people that were victimized during my time there. But, you know, uh, it's, sadly, that's just, you know, kind of the way the world is today, you know, and I hate to say that, but that's, that's just a reality. I mean, it, it's a, it's, the world's in a situation where, you know, if you're not very, very protective of, of yourself and you're around and, you know, something, you know, bad could happen, but that's just, just the way it is today. So, um, you know, like I said, I feel, I feel, you know, terrible for the things that went on while I was there, but when you look at the facts of the situation and how we handled them, even without, you know, the preparation that we had, the whole time I was there, I was never given any direction on how to handle any discipline at all in any situation. We didn't get Title IX until November of 2014, um, you know, and nobody ever directed me on anything. So, um, you know, we just kind of did the best with what we had, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, some border regions felt like that wasn't good enough. And I think they felt pressured into making a change. And, you know, I was the guy to do the change with. Um, I just didn't know that they, you know, that it would go to the next level to where, you know, I would be, uh, I guess you could just say, unhireable in many situations right now. So when you lost your job, were you stunned that it had gotten to that level? Did you have any indication that you were going to be? And by the way, it wasn't just you who lost their jobs. Ken Starr lost his job as president of the university because the larger investigation revealed issues that weren't unique to football that were related to Baylor in general um, and, uh, and, and, and also the athletic director. But like I just said, those guys get you know got another AD job and Ken Starr is representing Donald Trump in the well of the Senate during the impeachment trial, and yet you can't coach in the CFL. I, I would to ask you ask your question. Was I shocked? Just completely, completely shocked. It was, uh, you know, I it was made it 26, 2016, You know, and I'm in there meeting actually with Todd Graham and two of his offensive staff guys that come from Arizona State uh, to talk offensive football on a Thursday morning. Uh, about it was about seven thirty in the morning, and PMAD. And, you know, we just had a meeting with the board of, of select board of regents two nights earlier. I asked for a meeting because 
uh, one of my friends that was on the board told me they had a straw vote in Houston the Friday before, and he said, Coach, it doesn't look good. You know, he's, and he actually said, I failed to miserably. I had to leave and go back to a, a regents, I mean, a uh, board of directors meeting in Dallas. Another guy that was on the board that was uh, kind of a friend of mine was in California at the time and wasn't at the meeting. He said, it doesn't look good. And I said, you're telling me they're going to, they're going to let me go and not even give me an opportunity to talk to him. He said, well, you can make this call, this call, so you can get something together. So I did. And I got me, me and Ian in front of the select board of regents, select group of board of regents. This and, is your athletic director at the time. Yes. Yeah. Ian McCall and, uh, and a great man, just one of the best ever. Um, and so, you know, we did that meeting Tuesday and I was, I was worried, you know, I was, I was really worried about Ian and some others. I mean, I'd had a person on staff come in and, who'd who'd gone AWOL for three days and, you know, contemplating, you know, not carrying on. And so it was was a really, really uh, intense time, you know, because of all the pressure that we're getting as a university and and as a football staff and me particularly as a head football coach. So, and Ian was getting a lot of it. And and like I said, there's not a better person that I've ever been around than Ian McCall. And um, so I was worried about him. And I, we go meet Tuesday, and I hear nothing on Wednesday. You know, I, I, you know, I want to check on him and say, he's doing I call, no response. He doesn't call me back. It's extremely uncommon. Um, and then I get a call from him the first morning. He says, Coach, uh, uh, what you doing? I said, well, you know, I'm in here missing with these guys. And I said, are you okay? You know, and he said, yeah, he says, I'm, I'm fine. But he says, um, they're, they're going to let you go. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. I said, what's what's the deal? And he said, well, they just don't think you're the right man to lead the program at the time, which is just like taking a, a knife and sticking it through my heart because, um, you know, they I kind of felt like they felt like I was the right guy the previous eight seasons, you know, and all of a sudden I'm not the, the right person to do it. And um, so he said, we're supposed to meet with, you know, the general counsel and HR a person uh, here in, the, in 30 minutes, you know, in my office. So, you know, I go up there and, you know, we we sit there and, they, you know, he, he has to do it because it's got to be a formal situation. And, you know, he just says, hey, we're, we're letting you go with, uh, I think they use the word intent to terminate. You know, it's like a 10-day period or something there they have to do. And, um so you know the world just just spins and stops, and and I've actually got, I've got a, I've written a, a book that I haven't put out. It took me a year and a half to write it, Clay. But uh, so it's got all this this inside personal stuff in it. But you know it's just I mean the world just stops. And um, did you write that book because you felt like you needed to have even if it didn't get published one day, it mattered to you to put the whole story out there from your perspective. One hundred percent. I mean, just for self therapy, quite honestly. I mean, because you know, it just it just changes you as a person, and it's just you know, because I've always you know been a guy that's tried to be extremely fair and honest and loyal to people, and really, what what made me a good coach is kind of what you know at the end of the day got me a little bit of trouble because I've always trusted people and I've been very loyal, you know, so I always trusted everybody, uh, you know, that make decisions. Uh, and been loyal to them as much as I could all the way through. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, 
the one thing I found out is that, uh, sadly, that, you know, protecting an image, protecting the brand, sometimes more important than uh, caring about a heart and a soul. And I can, I can understand that from the outside, but from the inside, it's hard to understand. You think Baylor basically made the decision, if we let our Bryles go, all of the negative attention will disappear, and you were what they served up to the media to serve to pay penance for all of the negative attention surrounding these incidents, even if years later, Sam Ukwachu as well as Sean Oakman would actually be found innocent uh, or not guilty, depending on how you want to qualify it, of the crimes. Oh. It didn't matter. In the short term, Baylor needed the stories to disappear and serving you up sort of your head on the platter was the best way they decided to do that. I think so, and I think what they didn't see is that they had a university-wide problem. I think they knew it on the inside. Uh, they knew where the problems were with um, with the know, way that they were responding to sexual assault cases outside exactly. of even the football universe, just at the university as a whole. One hundred percent, and and they they knew that was going on. They knew that victims were not being handled properly. That they were, you know, being uh, encouraged not to report and not to keep going on, and which is it completely wrong. And there were no places for these victims to go, and so. That I feel like they they thought that if if they they let me go, then that'll ease things out. They'll try to get things right on the inside to where, when they do get scrutinized later on, that you know they can say here's where we are, and and they are in good shape now. And I, and I think you know it is better for the for the victims and the the students at at Baylor University now than it was eight years ago. It's also better for the administrators, also better for the staff, you know, because everybody. There is a plan in, in place now, but at the time when it was happening, I mean, I think you're 100 percent right. I think they think, you know, we let we let Coach Biles go, it'll back them off some, and then, you know, we'll be able to, to fix our problems and move on. But those those problems are, are known about and going to be known about through lawsuits that are still out there through some of the victims. Now, I football too. What do you wish you had done differently? Everybody goes back. I mean, you watch a, in, a, in a much less serious fashion. You watch a football game. You go back and you watch the tape, and you say, doggone it, I should have done this on third and eight, and instead I didn't. That's what you're comfortable with, and that's what you're used to. Like, you're a football coach, so you're used to doing that. Finding yourself in the center of a media storm surrounding intensely uh, serious allegations of impropriety, you're not a politician, right? Like, you're not somebody – you're not Donald Trump or Barack Obama or you know Bill Clinton or some of these guys who you know live in scandal all the time because you're the president and you're used to people like in that same way. What do you wish you had known to go back to Art Briles in 2015 as this story was starting and tell yourself that you would know now that you didn't know then? Well, I mean, just I mean, so many things, Clay. I mean, first of all, just uh, I mean, just understanding. Uh, how how powerful uh, you know the the media can be, and just you know how things can spin out of control so quickly. I mean the the thing, and and you hit it, and it's and it's it's you know it's on me. It's my fault. But I'm just I was I've always just been a football coach, and I really think coming up through the high school ranks, you know, getting into uh, college and then getting on the national scene and, and debate or where we got to, you know, I just as a coach and as a you know, a 
person or leader of the program out there, I'm, you know, I, I just, I was just wanting to coach football. I think the thing I should have done differently is, you know, my administrative levels, you know, should have been a lot better. I shouldn't have maybe delegated as much responsibility to, to people as I did, as I did. Uh, you know, I, I allowed myself to be, you know, protected, you know, from some of the things that were going on, which, which is my fault, you know, and it, and I think it goes on all over the nation. I think a lot of times, you know, coaches and, and support staffs try to protect, you know, the head coach or, or something along those lines from just bringing day-to-day matters to him. But um, the suggestion I had when when I met with the, the regents was, I, I just, and to me it was like the NFL. You know, I mean, you put an office in the football, you know, uh, hallway that, Anything that happens with any of the student athletes goes right there. You have an, a person that handles all the discipline. That person comes down and tells me or tells, you know, football ops or whatever, here's what we're going to do with this student athlete. And you do it. And you take it out of the coach's hands, you know, and let coaches handle not going to class and missing study hall and, and all that stuff. But anything else, let let somebody else handle all that. So, yeah, I made I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, if if I could, like you're saying, if I had stuff I could change, I would I would have um, you know policies, procedures. I would make sure that everybody was you know up on Title Nine. Like I said, the whole time I was at Baylor, I never had a Title Nine meeting in person with anybody, um, and just just making sure that everybody's on cue. And I know that sounds you know backwards, like ten years ago, but that that's where we were, you know, in today's world, that is what's going on. You know, everybody is aware, everybody's protected, everybody understands. And it's a, it's a, it's a wait and see attitude, which it should, should be. And, you know, always came up to where, you know, if, if somebody's handling something, the police or whatever, you, you don't get involved, you stay uninvolved and let them handle that situation because that's what they're supposed to do. And then you react to whatever they they come up with. So I don't know. It's it's a tough question. I've a, I've asked myself that many times, um, and I, I think the 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 simple answer would be just uh, making sure that students students both male and female uh, know what to do when anything goes wrong, and know and they understand that they will be protected. And they will be believed until, you know, proven that it's not that way. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. 
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening talking to our Bryles wins and losses podcast I'm Clay Travis so you leave Baylor you file a lawsuit again I mentioned that you got a letter basically saying uh, that seems to be in many ways vindication why do you think that a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now the first time that they will hear that that letter exists or that Baylor has said that you know they didn't really find any inappropriate behavior uh, in your case involving any of these sexual assault cases. Why do you think the first time that many people are hearing this is on this podcast? Why do you think that isn't hasn't been a story? <laughs> I think, Clay, you, I, I assume that you're a lawyer now since you mentioned the lawyer had a couple times. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, so, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I can't answer that because I don't know what, what you know, puts it out there. I guess maybe because I didn't hire a big PR firm to, you know, to push that out there and, and get that word out there. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, I mean, I don't know why that wasn't a big deal. It's a big deal to me. Um, but you know, it's, it does not seem to be a big deal, you know, to the national national media and and that's okay you know i mean like i said i'm not going to try to tell somebody else how to do their job i mean you know you're doing your job you're doing it you know as you feel the best that you can and i'm not going to sit here and evaluate you and say hey clay i think you ought to do this a little differently i mean if that it but for a guy yeah sorry to cut you off but for a guy who you know the coin of your realm when you're a coach is in many ways your loyalty right are you treating people well People find out about that in your business. They talk about it. You mentioned earlier Brandon Stewart going to the University of Tennessee. David Cutcliffe and Phil Former call you, and they say, hey, man, Peyton Manning's coming. We want you to know. Uh, You know how recruiting works. If a high school coach hands you one of their best players, they want you to treat that kid well. And if you don't, eventually that's going to come back on you because they're going to say, you know what, dad, mom, grandma, grandpa, I wouldn't send my boy to go play for that guy. Obviously, based on your history, that does not seem to have been an issue with you uh, with the success that you had at Houston and Baylor and Texas Tech and all the other high school places. So 
what does it feel like for you, though, to go from in 2014, the thing people think of when they hear R. Bryles is, man, that guy's an offensive genius. He's got a hell of a football program. To in 2019, when your name comes up, the first thing many people think is, oh, that's R. Bryles. He helped to cover up rape so he could win football games. I, I just I can't imagine what that feels like. I, I just I, I would it would drive me insane. I, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you because not that I would uh, just because in, in this situation, it seems like you have a very good argument to make against that and your reputation, you're 64 years old, uh, your reputation has changed and it may not be in a valid way at all. Yeah, it's that that's extremely hurtful and painful. I mean, only my only defense on that is that I know people that know know. And if, if, if people want to make that assumption, uh, that's just what it is, but there's no truth to it at all. Zero. I mean, absolutely none. And, you know, I'm, I'm okay with, uh, you know, with, with where I'm at and my faith because I'm just, I'm just a, you know, I'm a football coach. That's why I went to Italy and coached, you know, 13 games last year, then came back in America and coached 13 games, count scrimmage. So I coached in 26 ball games in 2019. You know, I'm not sure anybody's ever been a head coach through 26 games in the season anywhere, plus implementing two offenses and one of them in a foreign language. So, you know, I mean, it's, you know, being known as a, as a offensive, you know, guru or whatever, or this coach or that coach, that, that's, that's never been important to me. I mean, what's been important to me is just being in the game, helping kids be successful, seeing success through your eyes into theirs and letting them see what they potentially can do and helping them get there. And then just, you know, having the game and loving the game. To me, the the, the fun part of the game is, is the preparation. It's not really the game itself, but it's all the work and the preparation that goes into it, the study, the, the lifting, the running, the, the mental part of the game, which – it's what I learned more from Bill Young than anything else, just the intellectual part of the game. So that that's the part that that fires me up and keeps me going, and that's you know that's why I'm still doing it today. So uh, you know I I can't change people's opinion of me, but uh, people that know know, and uh, I my my name and my reputation I hate it for my grandkids. You know that's that's the thing that hurts me more than anything else because when they talk about their, their granddaddy, and I got five of them. You know, I want them uh, not to have to worry about looking over their shoulder and see if somebody's whispering. So that, that part of it is uh, is extremely painful. I, I can only imagine, and uh, some people are going to listen to this. And in fact, a lot of people will not listen, right? And they will hear, oh, Clay Travis talked to Art Bryles. Uh, and they will attack me, right? They'll say, oh, Clay Travis, he talked to R. Bryles. Look at Clay Travis. He's trying to help R. Bryles. That guy, you know, those guys are both awful. That's what some people will say. You're not not trying to help me, Clay, and I'm not trying to get help. No. You know, we're just talking. And I'll tell you, the great thing about me is that, honestly, this is the first time I've ever talked to you or the first time I've ever listened to anything you've ever done. So (laughs) I'm not a social media guy. And I don't mean – and I could say that, you know, in general. Yeah, I'm just not. So, uh, you know, I, I, 
you know, no, you do a heck of a job because I got a friend that listens to you in Beaumont, Texas. He tells me you're good. So uh, that's why we're talking. That's but, why we're talking. We uh, literally have never talked on the phone before this interview oh. started. So that, I want to put that out there. But also this, I just want to say, one of the challenges that we live in in this social media age, and I will bring the media in. I asked you a media question. You're not a media guy. I am. I will say to people who are listening to this right now, there is a segment of society that will not only want to tar and feather you, Art Bryles, which we have seen clearly happen based on uh, the, the situation at Baylor, but there are people who will tar and feather me for talking to you, right? Like, I guarantee you, if you, just as a thought experiment here, go, for people who are listening, you can Google, and you will Google Art Bryles, Clay Travis, after this interview goes up, and there will be people who write articles saying, Clay Travis is an awful human being talking to awful human being Art Bryles because we live in this era where people want to make everybody either a hero or a villain, the greatest or the worst. And what's scary to me, and I say this, Art, because I I think we've done stories like these before where I look into all the facts of the case and I start to say, man, you know, the way the media has covered this is not necessarily representative for what the facts are that I'm seeing. And... That is what I think will happen here, and that's a little bit scary, right? It's not only that you're getting attacked, it's that there's a lot of media people who are afraid to even allow you to tell your story because they're worried they're going to get attacked. Yes, sir. Well, I, I, I didn't. I, I hate that for you, but um, you know, I, I just, I, I was, like I said, it's the first time we've ever talked, Clay. Uh, but you know, I mean, we're just. We're just t- telling truths and talking football. I mean, that's that's all I'm about. I mean, if you ask me a question, I'm gonna answer it truthfully, and um, and go from there. So that's that's just just you know that's just who I am and what I've always been about. So absolutely, uh, not, I, yes, sir. I know you're busy. You were nervous about talking for very long. I told you we were going to talk for 30 minutes, and you said you didn't I'm, think I'm, you'd I'm, talk I'm for 45 minutes in your life. You're, so you're this is a pretty morning. Uh, yeah, missing you're missing a pretty morning in Texas. All right, last question for you. What do you want going forward? You're 64 years old. You said you coached a bunch of games in Italy in a foreign language. You coached in high school football. In an ideal world for you, you're younger than Nick Saban. You're younger than Bill Belichick. There's a lot of guys coaching into their 70s now and having a lot of success. What do you want yes, to sir. happen in football for the rest of your life in an ideal world? If somebody brought you a magic wand and you could wave it, what would you have happen? You know, just when when you first asked the question without putting football on it, the first thing that came out was peace. You know, what what do you want out of the rest of your time? It's just it's just peace. Uh, and then the football related one. I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I would be. I think I would be dishonest with myself if I if I said I wouldn't like to be back. You know, at the at you know the collegiate level or NFL or any level, running running an offense. You know, going in as a position or analyst or something like that's not real exciting to me. Other than maybe the opportunity to help you know carry the narrative in a different direction uh, just by somebody having faith in me and, and understanding exactly what went on but you know what i want to do is uh you know i want to i want to coach a football team i want to run an offense uh help with special teams because i love special teams uh, because everything to me ever ever snap that ever occurs on the field is football situational related to whatever's going on and there's 
18 factors that go on before you ever call a play, either offensively or defensively, you know, before each snap. So that's a, that's a whole other story. But to answer to answer your question, it, it would be, you know, opportunity to, to coach it. You know, Mac Murray University in Abilene, Texas, as, you know, the head coach. But to, to be able to do what we do and uh, let me do it. Because if you go in there as a position coach or maybe sometimes as a coordinator, you know, you always got somebody looking at you and, and kind of trying to get involved what's going on. So that's that's why I'm happy where I'm at in high school right now because, you know, I'm, I'm calling the plays, running the – running the offense, and, and we're doing stuff that other people probably wouldn't do because they'd be afraid of the scrutiny, you know, with the, the philosophical and personnel uses that we do. And uh, I'm not worried about that because I'm, I'm doing what, what we feel like gives our guys the best opportunity to win. R. Bryles, I can legitimately say this is the most interesting conversation I've ever had with a man that I never talked to before. <laughs> That's probably because you've never talked to anybody else before. So this, I mean, for first time, so this is it. But no, I, I appreciate you, and um, I appreciate your love for the game. Thank you, R. Bryles. Uh, appreciate all of you. This has been the Wins and Losses Podcast. I'm Clay Travis. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, subscribe, and go check out some of our other long-form conversations as we talk wins and losses of life with people from a variety of fields. Thanks for listening. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.